and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, we started last week looking at this opening section of the practical side of Ephesians. Ephesians is three parts doctrine, three parts practical application. The first three chapters deal with the doctrine. And the doctrine is concerning what God has done for us and what our present position in Christ is, who we now are in Christ. Ephesians builds doctrinally on the truths of Romans. Romans, once again, deals with the believer's past. Ephesians deals with the believer's present. Thessalonians deals with the believer's what? Future. Future. Even if you didn't know that, that would have been a safe guess. <laughs> now, in the Romans, what we learn is man was in a state of utter helplessness and hopelessness. He was in a state of desperation without God. And God so graciously, through his son Jesus Christ, saved man. For all who would have, who for all who would accept it, we see how through Jesus Christ man has been justified and reconciled to God and made righteous. Ephesians then builds on that truth and it picks up from that place of man now being born again and what he now has, right now, as a result of what Jesus Christ did, and we see in that section of the doctrinal section of Ephesians, that we are saved by grace and we are God's habitation, that God lives within us. That God desired this dwelling place. God wanted a family. That's the great truth that we see in the first part of Ephesians. That was God's plan. The purpose of the ages was that God would have this family, this mystery. It's what God desired, what the Father's heart longed for. What the Father's heart longed for was that we would be this family. And then knowing that we are this family of God, knowing that we are God's habitation, that there is no longer Jew or Gentile, but it is all one in Christ Jesus, one body that we are joint heirs and fellow heirs with him, with Christ. Understanding that, God tells us in Ephesians 4 that he would have us walk worthy of that. He beseeches us. He implores us to walk worthy of that. You see, the practical is doing something with the doctrinal. It's putting it to use. It's putting it to good use. 
the balance, the balance of this worthy walk is a balance of the doctrine and the practical. In other words, it's living who we are. It's living who we are in Christ. So many Christians live so far below, so far below par. And so many Christians fail to live in light of who they are in this one body. In this one body, we are this habitation of God. We are God's family. God's placed us in this family. In a family, you have responsibilities. You know? And if that family is to really function, not be a dysfunctional family, then each member in that family needs to function the way that a family member has to, or else you do have a dysfunctional family. You know, nowadays people are fond of talking about dysfunctional families. In fact, a lot of people would have you believe that all families are dysfunctional. Well, I, I might agree that in the world, you know, that, that would fit for most at any rate. But there's no reason why it ever should be. When a family functions, then a family is just the sweetest thing that there can be. And so much of what the adversary has done in the world has been to really try to attack the family. In my lifetime, it's just been attacked from every possible direction I can think of. You know, we could start and we could talk about, you know, how the divorce rate went way up. We can talk about how the marriage commitment has gone way down, not just in terms of divorce, but people that even aren't willing to make that commitment and how so many people don't make that commitment. We could talk about how the children are no longer respectful of parents and operating the way that God would have a family to operate. We could talk about all these different things, and Ephesians does get into all those specific things in chapter 5 and 6. But what I'd like you to understand in terms of where we're going to this evening is to understand that a family, if it's going to be what God wanted it to be, what he designed it to be, people in that family need to do their part. Um, yesterday, Loretta and I celebrated our 35th anniversary. You know, we celebrated, we said, happy anniversary. Um, <laughs> we're, this coming weekend, we're, we're going to go out and do a little bit more than just say happy anniversary. We didn't have the opportunity to do much yet. But... That anniversary, celebrating, we, we celebrated 35 years of marriage. That's 35 years of a marriage that was worth celebrating. Not all marriages, you know, are something perhaps that people really are happy to celebrate. Not all families are functional. And the reason why our marriage is something worth celebrating is because we've worked at it. We've worked at it. Now it's not to work. Oh my gosh, you got to work. You know, marriage, you have to work at it. Just oh, that sounds like so, something I want. Something I, you really have to work at this. Well, it's not a hard. You know, it's not like this terrible job. You know, it's not like you know being a coal miner or you know working like you're. I don't know doing. What's that show 
no, dirty, dirty jobs. jobs. Okay, it's not one of the dirty jobs. It's not like that week. You know, this week, this week on dirty jobs, we're going to show what it is to work at a marriage. <laughs> it's not. It isn't that kind of work. But it's it's living principle. It's applying principles. It's not just letting stuff happen, but making the kind of marriage you want, building the kind of house you want to live in. That's what a family is. And here, with the family of God, the family of God, there are certain principles that we're learning that we apply. And the family of God will be as wonderful as the members in that family live these principles. How much do we do with it? How much do we operate these principles? That's what God wants us to do. He beseeches, he implores that we would. That we would make this family of God the kind of family that he wants it to be, that he designed it to be. It began, we learned last week, with lowliness of mind or humility. That was the first requirement. That's where we started off. Not all filled with pride, not all you know, puffed up and thinking that we're so important because of who we are, but recognizing that righteousness that's in Christ Jesus. Again, it builds on Romans. It builds on what God did for us, and without that understanding, we can't really have humility. But when we understand those truths of Romans, then we have, then we can. Then we can walk with loneliness of mind, humility. And then that leads to the next one in, each, in verse 2, meekness. With all lowliness and what? Meekness. Meekness. Lowliness and meekness. Meekness, again, doesn't mean timidity. It's not being little. It's not being you know, insignificant or timid in any way. Meekness is instead, it's yes, a freedom from haughty self-sufficiency, but it then results in a coachability. Turn to James chapter 1. Hebrews, James. And in James chapter 1, there's a verse of scripture that's very foundational and, and important to us. Most of us are pretty familiar with James chapter 1, verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all, all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with what? Meekness. Receive with meekness the engrafted or implanted word which is able to save your souls. We're to receive with meekness the engrafted word. That doesn't mean, you know, a lack of guts. That doesn't mean that to be a Christian that you've got to be in somehow, you know, the mild-mannered that most people think meekness means. There's a lot of what to in, in understanding what meekness is, and we're going to look at the Word of God to understand it better. And we're often told and, and wonderfully told that meekness is coachability. It's a willingness to learn. And it certainly is that. But 
there's a bit more to it that when you go through how it's used in the Word of God that is involved in meekness. Coachability is an important aspect of it, but it's something that's more encompassing than just being willing to learn. You'll see that from the way that this word is used. And in order to get the understanding of this word, you really do have to see how it's used in God's word. If your approach to understanding this word is to simply look at how other people have defined it, you're, you're going to miss it. You really are. I looked at every different lexicon and dictionary, and no definition that I've seen completely fits what that word is. Um, a lot of them are very, very much miss it. Um, one definition I saw, um, I think it was from Easton's, um, had the word spiritlessness in it. <laughs> so I, I don't think that that would fit with what you would see in the Word of God. Submissiveness is used in some definitions of it. That's not it. It's not a matter of being submissive, not in the sense of being passive. It has nothing to do with any of that. You'll see what it does involve, and you'll see this different flavor of it, but certainly a lot of it is this willingness to learn. But in this verse where we draw that from, it's talking about the implanted word, that word that is planted. And I'd like you to really kind of keep that in mind, the idea of the implanted word as you look at, as we look at these different places. And think about the parable of the sower. It's in Matthew 13, verse 3 and following. We're not going to take the time to go there. But in that parable, that parable is about a sower sowing seed. And eventually in that chapter of Matthew 13, you learn that the seed that's being sown is the Word of God. Jesus Christ explains that. It's the Word of God that's being sown. And that seed is sown on different ground. The first ground that it's sown on is some seed fell by the wayside, the hard ground, throwing it like on the street. If I took up my grass seed and I threw it on the driveway, how well would it grow? No, it wouldn't grow at all. Why? Water. So now let's say, instead of it being asphalt even, that it was just you know, the old kind of dirt road that was well-traveled, that kind of wayside, that kind of roadside. Would seed grow on that? No. No, no it would not. Why? Too hard, okay? Too hard. It's just too hard to even receive the seed. You can't plant in that kind of soil, that kind of ground, because it's too hard. Ground has to be tender. It has to be open in order to receive the seed. That picture of being open, tender, able to receive the seed. That picture is what meekness is. Okay? 
In the Old Testament, when God was dealing with Israel, so often they were called stiff-necked and hard-hearted, okay? Stiff-necked and hard-hearted. And they just couldn't receive the word. Jesus Christ, when he's talking about the parable of the sower, and he shares that whole parable, his disciples afterwards ask him, why do you talk in, in, in parables? And actually, before they even ask him, he says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And then he explains the reason why I talked in parables is because their people's hearts were waxed gross. They were hard-hearted. And seeing, they saw not, and hearing, they heard not. They weren't receiving that word. They weren't willing to even receive it. In order to receive the word, in order to receive the truth, our hearts have to be open to it. Having an openness, a tenderness to our hearts, that idea of sort of being tender-hearted, that carries through every place that you'll see this word used. You'll see different fields, different specific uses of the word, but if you want to kind of look for a common thread, sort of that underlying thread, think of that kind of tenderness, and you'll see that in all the places that we'll go to. In Isaiah 61, you can turn there. Isaiah 61, verse 1, is a scripture that Jesus Christ quoted when he opened up his public ministry. Um, it has is recorded in Luke chapter 4, verses 19 and following. But I'd like to read to you what he's quoting from Isaiah 61. Verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the what? Meek. Meek. Now, when you read that quote in Luke, it's the word poor that's used. But it's not talking about poor when, he's taught, when it's quoted in, in Luke 4, it's not poor in that they don't have any money in their pocket. It's not that kind of poor. It's poor in spirit, which is to show a meekness. Now, I could, if I had the time, I'd, I'd, take the, I'd, I'd explain to you a whole Eastern Orientalism, a whole Eastern idiom behind that. That in the East, many times beggars weren't begging because they needed the money. They were doing it actually for, to show, to demonstrate humility. Bishop Pillai, and there's a chapter in the book, Eastern Manners and I didn't know the title. <laughs> I named it. <laughs> but one of his books on, on manners and customs of the Bible, Idioms, Eastern, it's on Orientalisms. That book, there's a whole section on begging for healing. Begging for healing is what it's called, begging for healing. And they would do this to demonstrate their humility, their meekness. That's why they were poor. Here, Jesus Christ was sent to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. All of those other following things, deliverance of the captains, captives, opening to the prison to those bound, healing the brokenhearted, all of those things won't happen unless someone is meek, 
unless they're able to receive that word in the first place. If you continue in my word, then you shall be my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Doesn't happen without first continuing in his word. Being open, being meek. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Here's another great verse of scripture where the word meekness is used and you really, it's one that does give us a, more of an understanding and feel for what this word means. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, if, if a man you know, has some area in his life that's not right, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of what? Meekness. Meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. If a man's overtaken in a fault, it says to restore that guy, to reprove him, to restore him in the spirit of meekness. So does a lot of people think that means coming to him and, you know, that if I'm going to restore him in the spirit of meekness, that just means that I have to kind of come and say, well, you know, I don't want to offend you here and you know, I kind of hesitate to even say anything. And, you know, gosh, it's just, you know, not that I'm any better than you. We're all just kind of the same. And, you know, I understand how this can be. But, you know, if you wouldn't mind too much, I sort of thought I'd, I'd point out to you that you have this little area in your life that could use a little, a little correcting. And that's what people think that that verse means, restoring such a one in the spirit of meekness. You know, my problem with that understanding of that, you know, word meekness in that verse, did you ever read Galatians? Yeah. <laughs> That's not exactly what he did there with them, is it? No. It's not. He starts off, you know, right in the beginning. You know, if anybody comes along and tells you anything different than what we told you, let them be accursed. And just in case you didn't hear the first time when I say that, I'll say it again. Let them be accursed. You know, I, you know those guys that are coming around and putting people under the law, I wish that they were cut off. And, and some translations actually have that, emasculated. <laughs> that doesn't sound real, kind of like, eh. You, you don't really picture, like, Woody Allen saying that, do you, you know? Clint Eastwood, maybe, yeah. You know, I'd like to, you know, <laughs> go ahead and make my day. <laughs> Paul doesn't come when in the spirit of meekness, if that's what meekness is. He didn't follow his own revelation there, did he? See, it's got nothing to do, it's got nothing to do with being all apologetic or mild-mannered, all passive. That's not it. That's restoring such a one in the spirit of meekness. Yes, it does involve being coachable yourself because it does require that that reproof isn't just out of your own personal opinion, out of your own personal ideas, or your own personal way of anything, but rather walking with God in that situation. Knowing the word, reproving with the word, and being open to God and following God's lead and how that's done. Sometimes that's going to be with great tenderness. Sometimes that's going to be with a little more oomph to it. 
What's important, what's critical, is that it's done with God's lead. Look at Numbers chapter 12. I think this one will help you as you think about it, understand more about Galatians 6.1. In Numbers 12 and verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek. The man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Moses, it says, was more meek than anybody on the face of the earth. Think about Moses. Think about what he did and the way he handled himself. They had to get Charlton Heston to play the guy, right? (laughs) Think about Moses going in to Pharaoh. Was he real? Kind of timid and no. If Moses, if meekness had meant being passive, being submissive, Moses wouldn't have lasted one day with the children of Israel. (laughs) Those guys were as hard-headed and stiff-necked and tough a group of people as anybody would ever have the misfortune of trying to lead. You know, God himself said, you know, why don't we just get rid of the whole group of them and, you know, I'll start off from the stones and I can do a better job than these guys. Moses, he was a strong, strong leader. But when he dealt with those people that were hard-hearted, when he dealt with those people that were so tough that, you know, they're complaining, you know, what, there weren't enough graves back in Egypt, you had to bring us out here to die? What did he do? Did he say, well, did you challenge me? Well, you know. No. He went to God. Think about the records. Every time, you can go and read the records, every time he goes to God. He goes to God and says, God, what do I do here? Because these people are about ready to kill me. And God told him what to do. He was meek towards God. He was looking towards God. He was leading always with God's lead. Moses was meek above all the men on the face of the earth. That's why he could receive the word of God. That's why he could receive all the law, because he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. He was that meek, and his heart was tender toward God. His heart was tender to learn, to receive, and looking to to receive that seed, just like that ground that's open to it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 18. Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them that are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with the rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? Here, Paul's talking about he's, he's going to come and deal with these guys. And some are saying, eh, no, he ain't coming. He ain't coming. We ain't, we're not going to see Paul again. And he's saying, I'm coming. I'm coming. When I come, should I come with a rod? Should I take you guys out to the woodshed? <laughs> or should I come with love and meekness, with tenderness? Can I handle it with some gentleness, with some tenderness with you guys? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
you see again <clears throat> meekness involved in restoring people. And in that record in Galatians, in the one in Corinthians, and here in Timothy, meekness is used in each one of these places in regards to restoring people that are off the word. But foolish and verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. The servant of the Lord can't get all embroiled in striving, you know. Avoid foolish and unlearned questions. Don't get caught up in battles, but instead, with a heart that's tender to God, restore those people that are so easily captive by the adversary. Meekness is a fruit of the Spirit, and it's an encouraging fruit. And that encouraging is what meekness does. Me down, the word is on my mind.